If you have a Bible, if you'd open to John 11, 25 through 26, again, that's John 11, 25 and 26, that's where we'll be reading from in a moment. There's a Bible under the seat ahead of you, it'll be on the screens in a moment. Have you ever wondered, maybe not even wondered, have you ever just got it wrong, like straight wrong, like you were right, you, were, you weren't right, you were wrong. So if you're married in this room, has your spouse ever just got it wrong? My wife just was like, no, Ryan's never got it wrong. Um, <clears throat> so, so at 18 weeks, we got an ultrasound. And the doctor told us that we were having a girl. I have four daughters. This was going to be our fifth daughter. And so, great. We know how to do girls. This is good. <laughs> Praise God. We went to our 39-week ultrasound, biophysical, make sure the baby's all good. And the tech goes, I said, hey, make sure this is a girl. And she goes, or she goes, hmm, this isn't a girl. She went on to explain, and then I asked for explicit pictures to prove it. <laughs> and last, about 10 days ago, we had a boy, right? Now, the beauty of getting this wrong is it's, yeah, that's great. Um, the beauty of this, right, is that it's okay, like, Babies are babies, right? For the most part, there's some difficulties of each, but babies are babies. And if we would have on that day not known and had like the doctors got it wrong, it wouldn't have been that great of a casualty. But, but there's certain things that if you get them wrong, there's great casualty. And, and I would say this, whether you're religious, irreligious, nominal, whoever you are, wherever you find yourself today, if you get Jesus wrong, it'll be the greatest tragedy of all of life. See, because if you get Jesus wrong, there is great consequence. And my fear, in the day in which we live, and I'm not saying this is greater than any other time, I'm just saying what today is. We live in a day and age of great self-consumption. So self-consumed that we are always looking at ourselves that maybe we never actually look at Jesus. We have one goal at North Canton Chapel this Easter Sunday, is that simply each and every one of us would lose ourselves enough that we could see Jesus more clearly. And that if you have gotten Jesus wrong your whole life, or you are right now because you have looked at yourself too highly, might we recenter ourselves on our resurrected Savior and glorify him with the fullness of our lives. You see, I believe that in many ways, we make very simple things far too complex. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that they make things far too complex. Tell them today. Paul, that, that brought you great joy, didn't you? That was, that was therapeutic. You're welcome. And so, so this morning, I, I just want to make the simple of it this. Jesus really lived. He, he really walked on this earth. He really had breath in his lungs. He really touched and healed. He was God in the flesh. And he really did die for our sins. There was a crown of thorns really placed on his head, which were not just placed on his head, but were beaten into his brow. 
There was really a cat of nine tails that struck his back 39 times. He really drank the bitter cup that we should have drank to pay the penalty for our sin. He really died on that cross. He really was buried in a tomb. And he really got up and walked out of that tomb. He really is risen and alive today. See, there's all kinds of nuances and questions that you might have, but of this, this is quite simple. God in the flesh, through the person of Jesus, walked on this earth and paid the penalty for our sin to set us right with God. He was buried in a tomb, rose from the dead, and through his resurrection, we all have hope of resurrection because there is one thing that no one in this room will escape, and that is death. If you will, stand with me this morning in reverence and honor of reading God's word. John 11, 25 and 26. Now, in this story, this is Jesus speaking to Mary and Martha. Lazarus has died. They're in great concern. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Father, would you help us today to see you, Jesus, our resurrected Savior, clearly? Lord, allow your word to guide us into all truth. And oh Lord, would you give us clarity on such important things? Help us to see the simplicity yet complexity of that which you've done. Jesus, we love you and ask that you would do this in each of our hearts. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at this passage today, there's just a few things that I want us to see out of this text. I believe that God wants us to see about who Jesus is and about what he has done. And so looking at this text, again, John eleven twenty five 25 through 26, it says, Jesus said to her, right? So this is, her brother is, is, is gone. Jesus has already affirmed that, that he's going to live. And after this, Jesus is going to resurrect him. But this is this short dialogue that he has. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is an astonishing statement. For someone to say that they are the resurrection, that they are the life, just so you know, that if you don't don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then he is just straight up a crazy person. Because the, the things that he says are astonishing. So those who simply say that Jesus was a good man or a good prophet... See, that's not sufficient. He is the savior of the world, or he is straight crazy. And by the way, I don't think he's straight crazy, if you didn't know that. So, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, the imperative of belief, this isn't just saying like, yeah, I'm cool with Jesus. This is like a full, like full on, I am placing my faith and trust in his hands, my destiny. Whoever believes in me, though he die, which meaning every one of us in this room is going to die. Raise your hand if you know you're going to die, right? Good news on Easter Sunday. (laughs) 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks the question, do you believe this? See, this is one of those moments where you kind of can't run from the conversation. When you have Jesus standing in front of you saying who he is, and he just says, do you believe this? I believe that God's word is living and is real, and he is standing before each and every one of us today saying this same question, do you believe this? I believe that's the most important question you'll ever answer in your whole life. It's one that you cannot afford to get wrong. So in this, we see some attributes of our Savior. For him to even say these things, there are attributes of him that we see. The first is that Jesus is the suffering servant. Jesus is the suffering servant. Luke 22, 37, right before Jesus goes to the cross, <coughs> he speaks and he says, The scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered, here he's quoting Isaiah, and he was numbered with his transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. What he's referring to is Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 53, the fullness of the suffering, over 700 years before his actual suffering, is prophesied in graphic detail. And in the graphic detail of this, it says that he has suffered physically, spiritually, and relationally. Physically, it says that he was afflicted, that he was crushed, that he was stricken. Jesus, he was physically afflicted. He was physically crushed. He was physically stricken for our sins. Spiritually, it says that he was put to grief, poured out his soul. This is more than just kind of like I'm sad. This is deep to the bones grief that he suffered on the cross and relationally he suffered which I think all of us know that each of these sufferings kind of has their own but relationally suffering is very very painful he was despised and rejected and alone see suffering is this weird thing that our life is sort of built around running from. Anybody want to suffer today? Raise your hand. No. Like it's something we don't really want. But what Jesus did, it's not this kind of normal everyday suffering like my parents are going to die, like loved ones are going to not be around me, people are going to hurt me. It's not this kind of suffering. It's a different kind of suffering and it's willful suffering. See, willful suffering is saying that I am going to make a choice to bear a burden, to take something on my shoulders that is not due me. And this is the kind of suffering that Jesus went to. And Jesus is the suffering servant, professed in the Old Testament, achieved in his incarnation, in his coming, in his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is the suffering servant. He willfully suffered on our behalf. Second thing that we see is that Jesus not only is a suffering servant, Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment. Again, the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And it was numbered with transgressors, transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan for redemption. He is the fulfillment of humanity's deepest struggle. He is the fulfillment of the scriptures. See, Jesus is the fulfillment and everything else is a weak substitute. And so how this works is, see, 
Jesus is the fulfillment. Everything you need is found in the person of Jesus Christ. All the love, all the compassion, all the kindness, all the generosity, all that we long for in life is fulfilled in Jesus. But what we tend to do is we run to empty wells to find fulfillment. And a good word for this kind of fulfillment of where we try to seek it is what I would just call simple indulgences. Now, indulgences can be very terrible things, but they can be very good things. And we can overindulge in this or that and saying that if I can get more of this, somehow I will have fulfillment in my life. And I don't think I have to be explicit on those things. I think we're all in understanding of what I'm saying. Everything else is a weak substitution compared to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. See, at the very beginning of time, God made each and every one of us to walk in his intended ways in his perfect path in this world, to live at peace with him and enjoy. But as Adam and Eve looked at God and said, thanks for making me, no thanks for telling me how to live my life, they rebelled against God, they rejected his authority, they rejected his rule, and they went their own way. And each and every one of us has made the same choice that they made. We have said, forget you, God. I'm good on my own. I'm good with raising my kids the way I want to raise them. I'm good with dealing my finances with the way I want to run my finances. I'm good with treating people how I think they ought to be treated. I'm good doing things my own way. Video earlier in the service sort of depicted that better than I am right now. I'm going to do my own thing. But God in his deep love for us knew this great brokenness inside of us and began even immediately after our rebellion to say, I am going to send one to make things right. And he did. Historically accurate and true, he did. Jesus came and he was born. He lived a perfect sinless life. He was arrested, he was beaten, he was brewed, he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose. And he is seated on high. And he has defeated death, he has defeated sin, and he has defeated hell. Not only has he done these things, but he's paved a way for us to be in relationship with him, not only in the next life to come to recreate us, to make us like him, but right now today in this world that we can look increasingly like our Savior to live in his intended ways now and one day forever. Jesus is the fulfillment. And third and last... Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the suffering servant. Jesus is the fulfillment. And Jesus is the resurrection. This he claims himself over and over in the scripture. It's the one thing that no one can quite wrap their head around. They can't quite wrap their mind around this resurrected Savior. And Peter is sort of my, one of my favorite apostles because he puts his foot in his mouth all the time. Which, anyway, that's my life. <laughs> And in one of these moments, in Mark 8, Peter and Jesus are having a dialogue. And for me, for a long time, I never saw these texts connected. I always saw them disconnected, but I believe that they're connected. It's the same conversation. So in this conversation, Jesus says, hey, who do people say I am? And they respond, Elijah, John the Baptist. And he says, no, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus, you almost can hear an applause, right? Like, yes, you got it. This is a heavenly thing that you just heard. This couldn't have been revealed to you by man. Well done, this is great. And then the conversation continues. He says, I've got to go. And I've got to 
die and be buried and raised from the dead. And Peter goes, whoa, 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 whoa. No way, dude. Like, I'm your homie. Like, I'm with you, Jesus. I got a sword. Like, I'm going to take this on. That isn't going to happen to you on my watch. Right? And so this is sort of this, I think, proud moment where he kind of beats his chest and says, I'm with you, Jesus. You see, Peter didn't quite get what had to happen for himself. We'll get there in a minute. So then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So Peter goes in about 2.8 seconds from heaven to hell, right? Like, boom. And then Jesus says, if you want to come after me, right? If you want to come after me, these three things. If you want to do this, you must take up your cross, deny yourself, and come after me, follow me. See, in this, what we see is that Peter got his confession right. He says, you are the Christ, but I would just continue with you today. A confession is not enough. It's not enough just from your lips to say, yeah, I, I think you're, you're Jesus, the son of the living God. Actually, after that, I believe Jesus knew the condition of Peter's heart, and he said, don't tell anybody what you just said, which is sort of peculiar. And then the text continues. And Peter, the reason I believe that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, is Peter didn't recognize his condition and his need. See, Peter's condition was that he, without Jesus, could not be saved. Without the death, burial, and resurrection, the payment of penalty for his sin, it must happen. Jesus wasn't here to kind of restore an earthly kingdom. Jesus was here to... to to restore a spiritual kingdom, to, to restore us back to himself. See, there's a confession, and, but for each of us, there must be a recognition of our condition. And so if you're highly religious in this room, just so you know, the Bible speaks of us oftenly as the ones who miss our condition. Because it's by our good works and by all the things we've done that we have gotten ourselves into right standing with God. Just so you know, there's not enough stained glass. There's not enough kneeling benches. There's not enough holy water. There's not enough of any religious things to save us. Only the blood of Jesus Christ covering our sins can save us from the wrath of God. We must confess him as Lord. We must recognize our condition But there's a third thing that I believe this text is clear that it calls us to. We must not only confess, recognize our condition, but commit our lives to his service. Now, committing your life to his service doesn't save you. It just shows that you were actually contrite. You actually had remorse over your sin, that you were indebted to a savior, and now you want to live with him for all of your life to deny yourself, take up your cross, and come after him. So, again, the question becomes, who do you say that Jesus is? I don't think there's a better question to ask ourselves on an Easter Sunday than the question is, who do you believe this resurrected Savior is? Have you confessed him with your mouth? Have you recognized your broken condition before him? And have you committed your life to his service? Maybe some of you have. And maybe this Easter 2019, 
you're just simply going to refresh that commitment to your resurrected Savior. But maybe for some, you have never, you've never committed your life to him. Maybe you've been around this stuff for a long time, maybe not. But maybe today, freshly, you would say, Jesus, I believe you are Lord. I believe that I am broken and hopeless without you. And I desperately need you to forgive me of my sins. And I want to live for you and your ways the rest of my life. One of the figures we don't talk much about in the crucifixion is a man named Barabbas. Barabbas was a criminal. Insurrection and murder is what put him in jail. And he stood, right? Jesus and Barabbas were standing before Pilate. And Pilate looked at the crowd and said, who do you want? Right? The one who they'd already said he'd done nothing, Jesus, or the murderer. And who did they yell? Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus literally died in Barabbas' place. Just so we're clear, each and every one of us in this room is Barabbas. We have a Savior who died literally in our place. Watch this video to bring some clarity onto the link that Jesus went for you. Pilate addressed them again, wanting to release Jesus, but they kept shouting out, crucify, crucify him. A third time, Pilate said to them, why, what wrong has he done? I have found no guilt in him demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But the people were insistent and unrelenting, demanding with loud voices that Jesus be crucified and their voices began to prevail and accomplish their purpose. Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted, and he released Barabbas, the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he handed over Jesus to their will. Your name is cursed. In my name is praise. But it wasn't always this way. The world was waiting for you, the prophesied one. The one Micah predicted in Bethlehem come. King David named you Lord a thousand years before this day, which is why I find it odd that your name is cursed and my name is praised. You're the image bearer of Isaac following his father. You're the one Isaiah saw as a lamb led to the slaughter. The psalmist called you a stone rejected by the builders and Jeremiah knew you'd be betrayed for 30 coins of silver. So how did you not know that this would be the end? Did you not know your betrayer would be a friend? It's always a surprise who will backstab us. 
I should know. Because your name is Jesus. And my name. I heard about you. You're that teacher the Pharisees despise. You tell the blind to go in peace right after you open their eyes. You command demons to come out. You heal the crippled and the deaf. The lepers shout your name. You told Lazarus to wake from death. But if you're so powerful, then why are you on that tree? Why am I the criminal on this hillside standing free? Why didn't you speak up? Where was all of heaven's descent? We all know my name was guilty and your name innocent. Those should have been my chance. That should have been my road. Now your name is crucify and my name is letting go. That was my flogging, my beating, my skin. But now your name is death row and my name is forgiven. That was my spit, my ridicule, my gasp, my worry. That was my Via Dolorosa and my burden that you carry. Those were my thorns. That was meant to be my crown. It should have been my blood that was dripping on the brow. Those were my nails, my wrists in wretched perforation. Those were my desperate lungs resisting suffocation. That was my punishment, my wrath, my justice on display. Do you see? for liars, for cheaters, for the rotten, for thieves, for a good man one might die. But then, why would you die for me? Do you not see my anger, my wickedness and malice? I know your name is Jesus, but do you know my name's Barabbas? Are you a friend of sinners? Why invite me to your table? Do you know I was a murderer? I am Cain, you are Abel. Are you the father of me to me? Because I am prodigal, unworthy. My name is undeserving, but your name must be mercy. I am going, unfaithful, but you still call me bride. I am one who ran away. Your name is leave the 99. Fatherless, abandon your name is welcome home in a world of dreadful kings. You're the king who left his throne. Do you not see? This is a I doubt it. Never followed you. You humbled yourself into death, followed through 
taking up my cross, brutal and rugged, because your name is love, and my name is 